Tom Melbourne is the founder of Open Market, which is a Salesforce native utility app on the App Exchange for a marketplace approach to distribution of new leads or new opportunities. Open Market is more than just a sales effectiveness tool. It's completely reimagining the status quo when it comes to maximizing sales capacity. Thomas had an incredible career on his way to starting Open Market. He started as an account executive where he was very successful and then went into leading sales teams for companies like CareerBuilder, Citrix, Mixpanel, and Sendoso. He's been a VP of sales three times over and is also an angel investor and a strategic advisor. In this episode, Tom challenges the way we think about sales structure in terms of predefined territories and named account lists. Well, Tom, you know I had to bring you back on uh, after interviewing you on the 10 Bound Sales Development Podcast. We had a great conversation. What we're going to talk about today for a lot of people is going to be sort of a mind shift. It was for me, and I'm looking forward to getting into what you got going on. But before, let's give a quick intro to folks that don't know what open market is all about. Um, reading straight from online, Salesforce, it's a Salesforce native utility app on the App Exchange for a marketplace, for a marketplace approach to new lead prospect opportunity distribution, effectively shifting the paradigm of the SDR AE handoff. One of the things I know we're going to talk about here is that load balancing and the distribution equally or effectively amongst a variety of AEs. So before we get into all of that, um, you know, I, I, I want to talk about your background, but it, did I get it right with open market? I, I think I did, but add some color for me. Yeah, no, I think that was perfect. And first, thanks for having me back. I, I always enjoy talking with you and so looking forward you know, to our conversation today. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, open market essentially was me trying to solve the problem that I experienced over and over and over again uh, without really a good, clean answer. And just understanding that um, things really just sort of need to shift. And so, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And I think where open market fits in will make a lot more sense, um, you know, as we as we roll through the conversation, for sure. Very good. Well, I'm looking forward to unpacking it. But first, let's talk about inflection points in your journey a little bit. And for those that are always interested in the background, I love that, uh, you know, after college, you started your own business right out of college, right? And uh, started Wedding Workshops, LLC before joining Career Builder as an AE and taking your career on from there. Uh, talk about that inflection point first, if you can. And I want to unpack a couple other things with you. Yeah, it's, it's uh, well, it's funny that you, I, you really went to the Wayback Machine to find that. Now, I know it's on my LinkedIn profile, but you scrolled and, uh, and I appreciate <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly, you had to see more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a few times probably. Um, well, I'm going to take you back one more. Uh, actually, so I, the first business I started when I was 12 years old. And uh, it was actually a wedding DJ business, which I ran till I was about just actually out of college, which is the tie back to wedding workshops, right? So Wait a minute, you ran this from 12 to out of college? Yeah, yeah. It was, wow. uh, listen, I thought, you know, when you're 12 years old, I was conquering the world. I was I was actually getting rides to weddings I had to DJ by my parents because I wasn't old enough to drive. Right. Um, kind of ridiculous when you think about it in hindsight, but uh, man, I owned the world at that point and really enjoyed enjoyed doing that at that age. What kind of music did um, you DJ? What's that? What kind of music did you DJ? Honestly, anything but country. And the ironic <laughs> okay. part of that is for some reason I grew up, uh, got older, and I like country music. And maybe yeah. that was just the time I spent in Arizona. But um, yeah. <laughs> life will life will get, life will do that to you. It'll get you open to country, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but that's that was actually a tie into the wedding stuff. And it was also really, I think, my first pass at at this. When I was coming out of college, I you know was in the wedding industry, and so I'd gotten an email about wedding websites and you know this is 2004 
And uh, so, so that was like a really new thing. Web was like a new thing. And I was learning how to build websites because I had my DJ business that I needed to learn how to advertise and, and, and that sort of thing. And so I got really interested in that. And um, I had a guy that I, I kind of uh, partnered a little bit with who helped me build out the software. And really what we were doing was selling that software to wedding venues um, for them to be able to, you know, give that as like kind of a gift for bride and grooms that we're going to be, you know, meeting with them or other vendors, right? Uh, I was a yeah, wedding vendor. Yeah. And Glad so you're going to be here I... for your event, but here's another way to, to advertise it and promote it for your, your family and friends. Yep. Like a white labeled almost wedding website business. And um, it was a lot of fun, um, you know, early on days, uh, you know, and, you know, quite honestly, I think the developer lost interest in the project and I didn't have the skills to really develop. And so I had to kind of move on with my life. Um, but Interesting. What, what ended up happening is I ended up working, uh, I, uh, I, I was in Vegas because I, all my whole family had moved to Phoenix. I grew up in, in the mm -hmm. Northeast and I didn't want to go to Phoenix. And I had this little wedding website business with a chance of it still being able to do something. And I said, okay, I'm going to go to Vegas. There's a lot of weddings there. Right. And, uh, right. you know, if the business um, comes back around, I'll stick around and I've got a lot of prospects. And if it doesn't, then, uh, Hey, I'm in Vegas. Right. And, um, when the wedding website business didn't really kind of pan out is when I found mortgages and I did that for a little while. Right. And well, then, uh, um, I ended up just moving back to, uh, back to Arizona and, uh, got a job at, at career builder. And, an um, AE. yeah, for the first time, uh, well, I mean, you weren't, it's the first time selling cause you were, you had been selling as an entrepreneur selling your own stuff, but in a structured corporate America environment, first time account executive. Yep, exactly. Hmm. And um, that was actually the first chance I had to go into leadership too. It was a remote office and they were growing fast. And I was very fortunate to find that. Uh, that was in that was in Arizona. And then uh, the market crashed in 2008. And so, you know, we didn't have any need to do job postings because unemployment rate went way up. And so they laid off a bunch of people. And um, at that time, I, I somebody came to me and said, hey, we see what's going on. And, you know, you can stay, you can be an enterprise rep. I was a manager at the time. You know, that's what we've got for you. And one of the other managers said, you know, I'm going to this company called Citrix Online and we've got a role, but it's only as an AE. You know, do you want to go? And I looked at it, went to lunch with like the the people that were doing the hiring and uh, literally started like two days later. Mm -hmm. And what, that was just probably the best, you know, quickest decision I've ever made. <laughs> the quickest uh, and best decision. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Citrix at that time. Absolutely. And then I think that story turns into probably everybody else's, which is the connections I made at Citrix. Um, and, and it just and you were there for six years, seven yeah. years almost. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Quite a while. Um, a lot of the people that had hired me there, the upper management stuff had moved uh, to companies like New Relic and up into the Bay Area. Mm. And um, obviously, I just stayed in touch with them. Great network. Great, great, like just community uh, of a company. And um, they ended up working at Mixpanel right after they got the Series B. Um, and it was a really big deal. It was back in 2015. And I've just got the call to come up and, and help manage, you know, start building out the mid-market uh, channel, which is really where I've cut my teeth in my career. Um and then it just kind of kept transitioning, right? Um, right, right. Into Chartio, opportunity to, to to be the first VP of sales at a really early stage company, and you learn a lot when you go from just managing people to all of a sudden managing the org, right. and you start to learn, you know, all that stuff. And and at a really early stage company, you you bootstrap it all, and you learn how to do a lot of different roles and wear a lot of different hats, and you're solving a lot of problems, which is, I think, the thing that I really you know enjoyed and was drawn to. Um, transitioned again back into another small company, um, small at the time. It was called Sendoso. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 25 people when I joined. Um, and that company was just, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. 
um, really wild ride as far as just how fast we grew. And, and, and again, very bootstrapped. I mean, I remember, you know, opening up the Phoenix office, building desks, um, you know, till midnight, nice. uh, yep. <laughs> just so I could get ready for the new hires the next day. Um, and Rolling just kind of sleeves going. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then just from there transitioned more into, yeah. you know, more consulting and, and, and just seeing much more things with that building out go to market functions for a lot of different companies and, um, kind of been, been having my hands on a lot of different projects, you know, throughout, throughout the whole time. So, um, well, yeah, investing, strategic advising, uh, you've had a progressive career, you know, and when we go back to career builder, when we go back to Citrix, uh, you were promoted every time, you know, you were promoted twice at uh, career builder, uh, promoted at Citrix to manager. What do you, in mixed panel promoted, what do you attribute your progressive career to just when you unpack you as an individual what what's led that is it op, is it relationships and hard work i mean what positioned you to always be moving on up because you've just been on a roll you know it's uh i'm, I'm curious what is what drives that it's a great question and um i don't think i can attribute it to any one thing right i think it, it is a matter of just um you know it's like uh being prepared and and being in the right place definitely a lot of hard work i you know I'll, I'll say that but at the same time too i think getting through these things and just having a bit of luck on your side of being in the right place at the right time meeting the right people having the right opportunities to show that performance right you can't just be in the right place like you actually have to be able to perform right and i think i've done both of those things but there is a layer of just it's the people you know and the places that you are and you know being in the right places to have those opportunities presented to you i think was a big part of it as well i mean like I, I met some really great people early, early on. Like a lot of people don't really know this, um, but if you know of uh, Jake Dunlap, uh, he hired me at Career Builder, right? Uh, and so there's just Jake a lot of Dunlap you know scaled. Yeah, we gotta get him on the yeah, show, right? Yeah, no, oh, absolutely. So he hired me there, and and I mean, you think about like the people that we met then. Like that was his first leadership job. I was like one of his first hires, and like where everybody's gone since. Um, you follow that network, and when you're in right. a good network with a lot of good people, it opens a lot alum, of doors for you. And, the yeah, alumni effect, and, yeah. It, absolutely. It's so important in, in, in careers. And so anybody that's just starting off, like if I could give you any advice, it's to, it's to make sure that, you know, you're, you're keeping track of your network and staying in touch and um, just being a good steward within it. Well, in that as well as where you identify opportunities for new products, right? I think uh, you shared a story with me about a, a drifting car example. <laughs> okay. So bear with us audience. Um, Rep is going after an account that's not in the ICP. Can't figure out why in the life for the life of you why he wants this account. He had requested ownership of the account. Tell tell the rest of the story. I'll butcher it if I do. Yeah, no, I appreciate teeing that up. It's exactly that. I was sitting in an office one day, and um, Rep came up to me, just jumping up and down, all the right energy. Man, He's at I Sendoso, found by the way, I think right. Yeah, yeah, early days of Sendoso, and uh, you know, hey, like, listen, like, I saw this account, and I really want to work it. And now as a sales leader, the one thing I've learned oftentimes when these conversations start to happen is that nobody cares who owns a lead until somebody wants to buy something. <laughs> so so the first thing I want to know is why do you want this lead? Like what's going on? Is it an inbound? Like what's happening? Who owns it? Like what's what's the hard part for me to solve here for you? Because it's it's not as easy just to move things around, right? And um, I look at the account and it's just like, it's not our ICP. It's not our buyer persona. It's not anywhere on our list. Nobody cares who has this account. It's a car parts company in the middle of the country. And I said, okay, no problem. I can make this happen. Uh, you can have the account. Um, but before I do, like, why Why do you want it? Like, because nobody else wants this account. It doesn't look good. And and that's the thing. What I learned that day is you used to build drifting cars on the weekend. 
and he he used to buy his parts from that company uh, there it and is, he yeah. knew everybody there that. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, and and so he knew everybody there and he knew like kind of how they did shipping and all these things and he's like i really think that there's a use case for sendoso you know with with them and, and the things that they're doing and i really think i can get us like you know a conversation and yeah go ahead and take it right but the thing the thing for me in that moment was like wow uh i'm looking at this and here's this account that I couldn't give to anybody else. I couldn't pay them to work it. Right. <laughs> and he's jumping up and down. And I'm like, well, how do I how do I make that happen every single time? And I got thinking about that. And I saw more and more of those examples coming. Like somebody, you know, met like the marketing person of Zillow at a wedding. And they're like, I want to have that account. Or like, they just really like the brand Roomba for some reason. Like, I, I don't know what, you know, motivated them to want to take an account. But what I did know is if I could find a way to sort of enable that to happen more, that people would be more excited, right, about working the accounts that they have just because they're tied to them more. And it doesn't mean that'll happen on every single account, but what it did yeah. mean is like, look, there was a really big interest for me to figure out how to how to sort of allow that to happen within the within the constraints that we have managing a sales just team. Creating and, that option. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Yep. But that was a big, big part of um of the conversation for sure. Well, yeah. And so in the reason that is significant is a Sendoso is a direct mail or a gifting platform. So when we talk about shipping car parts and things of that sort and understanding their shipping needs, that's why that's kind of ties in there. So for those that don't know what Sendoso does, go check them out. But that's a little background for you. Uh, secondly, is when you identified that, I think if I'm correct, that's sort of one of the aha moments for you in the idea of open market because in your review you shared with me offline that the one thing that's missing from these um, you know lead distribution account distribution platforms is the involvement of the account executive and that's what you mean by creating that that option yeah sure absolutely so so when you think about this um where you know you want to always try to have you know your best rep work in the best lead but that's very dynamic, right? I right. can't, I can't tell you exactly what, what that's going to be every single time. I mean, we, we, we could apply some rules to this, like somebody used to sell to it and they're going to get all the it leads and all these things. But you know, at the end of the day, um, the more excited I can have a rep be about working a lead, the, the better that leads is going to be worked really. And I think what ends up happening um, and what we're talking about having reps involvement is, you know, the way that we distribute leads today, there's a couple of different paths. And, and and just to kind of shape this conversation a little bit, you know, I talked a little bit about my whole career being in mid-market, and that's really my focus. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about enterprise or something, full sales cycle, some of this stuff might not reson resonate with you as much. But when we think about the mid-market space, you know, oftentimes we set people up into like named accounts or territories, um, you know, or we do like a round robin function. And any of those things that happen more often than not, what we're really doing is just sort of pushing pushing the accounts out to the account executives without any involvement from them or very little, right? We might go right. through an exercise exactly where they get to pick mean. their accounts Here's your and new all that account stuff. list, yep. Yep, and, and yeah, and again, maybe they've got a little bit of involvement in the account list, but really at the end of the day, um, what we do as an organization is we we do, we score them, right? We want to make sure that we're giving them what we believe are good leads. And, and I think that's the qualification, right? I think that's more the binary stuff. And what I mean by that is, is it in the ICP? Is it the buyer persona? Um, what, you know, what's the lead score? What's their intent, right? Do you have any of these signals that are coming through? And if we've got those things and it meets a certain bar, then we just flip it over to the AE and say, you get it from here, take it away. And what I, what I watched happen so many times was that AEs, um, 
I can't tell you how many times I would be in a meeting with reps where they're fighting over whether or not a lead should have been quote unquote qualified, right? That came from an SDR. And that conversation would shift. It would be very dynamic where an AE might be fighting it one week, but had no pipeline the next week and was willing to take it. And it was like, how do you kind of nail all these things down? Um, where I'm going with this is that when you just sort of like push it onto the reps and you don't really give them any sort of optionality as far as what they're going to work or how they're going to work it, um, you're going to get a lot less interest and you're going to have a lot more conflict in the distribution process um, than if you just give them the opportunity to sort of be able to pick their leads. But the challenge of picking their leads is that there isn't really a good way to manage that. Mm-hmm. I can't just say, hey, everybody gets to pick whatever you want. Without right. I mean, sort of quotas are typically set equally. You know, everybody's got a million dollar quota. Rarely do they tie it to the, you know, TAM within that territory. So, yeah, it's it's hard because that's what it ties back to is our account assignment or, you know, that we have our territory, if you will. Right. Can it generate what I need to hit quota? And if they're picking it themselves, you know, there's going to be some cherry picking. People aren't going to have what they want. So I'm definitely eager to hear how that how that gets kind of shifted. Right. And I think that that is a, you know, a use case of where this kind of thing is brewing more and more. So the optionality of being able to move accounts around dynamically to meet for the best scenario, I think sounds like a, a way to really increase capacity, efficiency, you know, a lot of things open up there, right? Absolutely. Um, and so I think what I was surprised to actually find when I started talking to more and more people was the fact that um, in the mid-market space specifically, they sort of followed more of either a really old school territory model or um, kind of a larger enterprise like account-based model. So territories, if you think about the way sales kind of got established, makes a lot of sense in the early days if your boots on the ground. Right. right? I'm knocking on doors, I'm going into a territory. Like that's what I think about a geo territory. Um, and when I think about a geo territory, I think about one person owning the whole thing. And that doesn't really give me the optionality if an account comes in that another AE sourced in some sort of way to give it to the AE that sourced it. Why? Because mm-hmm. yeah, they own like somebody else already owns it, right? There's it's already predefined. The CEO of your territory. Exactly. And um, on the named account side, you know, while it may not be specifically tied to geo territories, it still creates the same problem um, around being able to just move the you know the account to the right person. When you think about the mid-market space, I think about, or even just sales in general, how how sales are done and the relationships behind the sales. I think in an enterprise space, it's career relationships, right? In other words, mm-hmm. a career rep knows like IBM inside and out. They've sold four different products into that company. And if I hire them, I can pretty much guarantee we're going to sell whatever product I'm hiring them to sell into IBM. Like they'll do it again. Those types of relationships and named accounts, I think make a lot of sense. When we think about mid-market, right? It's not so transactional that it's like a one call close, but there is this, you know, newer, I wouldn't call it newer, but it's like the social selling aspect of it where we've got a lot of reps working really hard on LinkedIn, becoming like their own brand and becoming like an influencer of the space or just like a a person who really understands the problem that there's authority on their, on their domain. Authority. Mm -hmm. So the people that are becoming the authorities, if we want to be able to reward them, when they bring in an account, I need to be able to give the account to them. 
And so if I if I launch out of the gate and I set up a bunch of territories or named accounts and the, everybody who owns the accounts is predefined, you can start to see the problem, how difficult it is. Yep. Right. They, I, I've they been working on that account. I've been calling on them. I've been emailing and my SDR has been doing X, Y, and Z. And you put out a post and you got them to talk to you. And so why don't you just hand that over to us and we'll run with it. Thanks for the lead to, you know, the handoff. And, you know, if I'm that rep, that's putting content out every day. Yeah. That, that would suck. Uh, so yeah, refereeing those situations as a leader and what you've had to do. And that's where this is stemming from. Uh, that's a sticky place to be at. Yeah. And it's very hard. Um, and, and you want to be able to do the right things. And the challenges is when it's fully, you know, detailed out like that. Like you find yourself, uh, I feel like every sales leader can relate to this. It feels like you're doing horse trading in the background and you're constantly taking something from somebody and owing something to somebody else. Totally. And whenever you recycle accounts, you know, annually, quarterly, there's always some hang up somewhere, someone who hasn't done uh, justice. Because I think what you'll you'll agree as most of the time it's done through some sort of round robin when you're even doing the named account selections it's like some you might have some industry expertise and career relationships if you're in the enterprise but if you're in a mid-market organization and you need to go after 300 companies in your territory the chances of you having a relationship with one of those i mean several of those is very slim so you, you kind of just throw randomness at it and say you know let's try and divide these accounts equally <clears throat> By the and assign them to the AEs. I mean, that's what I've had to help do many times over. And that's, you know, every other account. If you have five AEs, you just every other, you know, every fifth account is what you're getting. Um, there's no you account score them. You try and apply propensity models to it and those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, you still fundamentally assign the ownership to the salesperson. And I think that also breeds a little bit of complacency in that whole idea of hoarding accounts, right? I think there's that happens quite a bit too, where you know, we try to wire in rules of engagement that allow reps or <clears throat> to go into an account if there hasn't been activity in like 90 days or six months, whatever your window is. But generally speaking, I think when we give it all to someone, especially a number like that, 300, that's not even workable really by one account executive. So that's where the hoarding effect, uh, I think, starts to kick in. But one question I, I wanted to ask you, and I mentioned it earlier, and I, I skipped over it, um, sales capacity what the hell does that even mean? Right. Huh. Can you, can you take us back a little bit? I, I apologize. Define for us what the hell that even means. Sales capacity. I think someone might have a different definition depending on who you ask. Yeah, no, totally. I, I would even just think of it as like throughput if you're familiar with that, but what we're mm -hmm. really just trying to do is maximize efficiency. And so there's different ways that this shows up, especially when we're talking about, you know, the conversation at hand, when we're thinking about like territories and things along those lines. Um, but but really all we're talking about sales capacity is like how do I maximize the amount of you know work coming out of the team that I have and like setting them up to be as successful as possible. And I really think that the way that we structure teams limits that in a lot of ways. You know, one of the biggest ways when you think about territories, you know, in sales capacity and actually just going right back to the exact thing you're talking to. Let's just say we we split up, we give a rep three hundred accounts. And um, at the end of the day, the rep really is only going to be like actively involved in in so many of those, and then others 30, are going to be forty. Nurtured. Realistically, I mean, it's it happens every time, and you can yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, yeah, it sets no, no, me no off. but but that's <laughs> but so and then what I'm watching is so so if, let's just say I don't know, call it thirty accounts that they're really actively engaged in. I mean, uh -huh. The other two hundred and seventy are just kind of sitting, and and the reps don't get like the 
like the somewhat okay accounts, right? Because we all know what inside of the TAM are the, like the accounts that are going to be the highest propensity to buy just by either the line size, the industry they're in, things like that, right? And so what we do is we really give the reps all the absolute best accounts, but then the majority of them are just um, sort of sitting. But but and I'm not opposed to like accounts sitting. I think that that's important uh, from time to time, but they're sitting kind of without a plan. Right. Um. And 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 the reality is is like things are happening and shifting and changing on the other side. And and if a rep reached out to an account and just happened to hit the wrong person and you know they marked it in a bad way where it's like uh we don't you know they don't need anything we'll follow up and nobody's paying attention to that account for any sort of other signals that might be coming in you're going to miss your window to sell them right like i can't say how many times we had an account and maybe a rep got promoted or left the company and then the account base got turned up um and somebody else you know went um to go sell the account and they followed up a queue that said we should follow up in 6 months uh, we follow up in six months and found out that they bought the competitor three months ago. Oh yeah. All the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the fact that nobody's really paying attention to a lot of that stuff really hurts us a lot, you know, as well. Um, and so that's a big part of just like, if we're, if we're just distributing all the accounts out to an AE and telling them to go be their own CEO of their own territory, what that really means is that all of those things are being worked very differently and sometimes not at all. And and this isn't true for everybody. Some right. reps are going to crush it no matter right. what. But my experience is that's like your top 10, 20 percent of the reps and the other 80 percent aren't, you know, as sophisticated, maybe or working it in the same way. Um, and, and like from a sales leadership perspective and an organizational perspective, we're going to be missing out on a lot of on just a lot of opportunity to sell stuff. And um, and, and that was tying up you know, a lot of a lot of the TAM that we had. And when you assign it to a rep, you do have to go through this awkwardness of like, well, you haven't touched it in 90 days. Yes, I have. I just didn't log it. Okay, well, show me that log, right? And then we're wasting, like, think about all that time that we're wasting trying to validate something that happened or didn't happen. Versus well, they're trying just, to, because they want to keep hoarding it. <laughs> they, in case listen, an inbound lead comes in, I, I I might get something from that one. Yeah, I hope so. That's exactly the thought. And I don't blame anybody for having that thought. Right, right. Um, but boy, we could do a lot more with it if I could just, you know, put that back in the hands of like marketing to, to drive some more awareness or, you know, SDRs to drive more interest. And, well, there and you go. So and that, that, that's yeah, the that's perfect segue challenge. right there. You, and you just, you just, cause I know the solution that we're trying to build up to, uh, cause I, I know your, your philosophy on this, but this is a perfect time to say, okay, well, if we don't assign accounts to AEs and we do, or account salespeople, however you phrase it, um, then what do we do? Who, who gets the accounts? Yeah. So this, so I've done, I've probably run every single model and um, where the one that I like the most is like what we've sort of been talking about leading up to this. And so I definitely appreciate all the conversation, but it does sort of lead to like a bigger, a bigger dialogue around all of this. And and like the problem that you're going to run into that I, I tried to solve with open market here, but the biggest thing um, on the model, you know, going back to your question, like, where do we assign it? If I could wave a wand walking into an organization, the way I would want to structure it is like, um, and one of the mistakes I've made along the way in my career, and I think just happens very often, is like just not partnering um, enough with marketing. And I think part of the reason why that starts to happen is we we we, we don't, um, you know, when when all the A's are getting the accounts and they're running their own businesses, like their own CEOs, like they don't necessarily know how to like um, work with marketing either. And then we find ourselves in these two silos. So. For me to wave a wand, I want to um, be a better partner with marketing and I want marketing more involved in like uh, doing like kind of account-based marketing, right? Or account-based right. selling. We're picking yeah. the TAM, we're deciding our targets and then we're, we're the cross-coordinating our campaigns. Uh, coming our, up with our... the campaigns, yeah. Right, and right. how are we cross-coordinating? It's a great way to put it. And like, how are we going to go attack the TAM? Like, how are we going after this? 
Well, when we involve marketing, we get support from marketing. And when marketing is involved in the plan and who we're going to be talking to, um, then they create campaigns for us. They create air cover, I call it, where they might be running ads to a certain account base um, you know, that we're calling into. And so the benefit of that for us is like, look, even if nobody clicked on the ad or raised their hand, uh, maybe they've seen our brand. And so when I call and I say, hey, you know, we're giving you a call from this company, you've at least heard of it, right? It's kind of like when you drove yeah. down the street, you saw the billboard, you don't really know what it was about, but it's not that foreign either. They're creating an awareness for us to go in and create the interest. And um, and that is just super powerful and super helpful uh, from that perspective. But the, the what ends up happening is that marketing is like assigning the accounts to SDRs and we're creating campaigns, you know, that we're working in cohort with or in concert with with marketing. Right. Um, once we get some interest generated at that point is when I want to send it over to an account executive. And um, and I want it to be able to go to whatever account executive is going to be the best fit for it. Right. So that's why going I really back like to what to we talked about earlier about the dynamic nature of this and one week to the next. And you never know what relationships or insights exist within your AEs and so forth. So that's the optionality of them being involved in the process is where this comes in. Right. Once the interest is established. And I think just to not skip over and be clear. If I'm technically speaking, you're going to put these accounts in an SDR's name or in, in sort of SDR queue, if you will. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So when we think about that, um, again, like I'm trying to uh, have the SDRs be the one to sort of take ownership of working them. Yep. In yep. in partnership with marketing in those campaigns with the air cover that's that's, that's happening. Um, so now this is the important. This is the workflow. SDR has established interest. We passed the awareness phase. We've established interest either through outreach or inbound. And now we have a meeting booked. And I think this is where open markets solution comes in. Uh, and we can talk about it if you like, but talk about that workflow from that point of view, because now it's the AEs have an option to pick some of those. It's not automatically signed because the way that we would do it today is that would already be predefined, right? Meeting gets established. I already know which account executive this 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 meeting is being set for, right? But in the context that you're referring to, in the solution, the sort of new paradigm that you're suggesting that we shift to, when that meeting gets booked is when we determine who it's going to go to. It's not predefined. Yeah, exactly. And so that's oftentimes where you see the round robin. Okay. And so leading up to that structure where you can use the round robin is by far my favorite. So however we get there, right? But, but what's, what's actually happening is is a couple of things. One is that the accounts aren't predefined. That's the first thing, right? Because okay. we have a lot of optionality. And so when situations like social selling and those types of things pop, it makes it very easy for me to move the account to the right AE at the right time. Okay. So, so that's one part of it. But then the other part of it is it becomes a many-to-many -many relationship. And so what I mean by that is, um, you know, many SDRs supporting many AEs becomes a lot more stable of an environment too to manage in. If I ever have an AE get promoted or, you know, leave the company, um, you know, it doesn't disrupt like the pods that you're probably more familiar with. Yep. And um, the, the round robin distribution model um, allows for a lot of that optionality, you know, to happen. Got it. But if I, if I take the ownership of the accounts away from the AEs and it sounds like I'm cycling through this. And I think that was one of the things you'd mentioned offline as well is that when you have it with the SDRs, you, they might work it for some period of time. Then 
you know, it's a rinse and repeat where, you know, now you're not working it for a month, three months, and then it gets back into the, the pool to be worked by the same SDR or even a different SDR. So in that second analogy, you talked about the many-to-many -many relationship. This is where we're at now. But I feel like if I am cycling through that way and I have a many-to-many -many relationship, is that really buyer-centric? Is that going to be the best experience for the the, the prospect? Because it, I don't know, on the outside hearing it for the first time you might think well then they're here they're getting hit every three months by a different person uh yeah well the many to many actually what i mean by that is many sdr supporting many aes um but you also just touched on something else we've chatted about which is like i really do one of the things i also learned along the way <laughs> made the mistake on was like just deploying all the tam immediately and that's a bad move, no matter if you put it into all the SDRs names or if you put it into all the AEs names, you know, it doesn't matter to me as much. But what happens is when you go to deploy the TAM, let's say I got a thousand accounts budgeted for each person I hired and I give them all thousand accounts. The first month's great. Why? Because they had a thousand accounts. Second month, they've heard no 300 times and now they're working off of six, you know, I'm sorry, 700 accounts and their world just keeps getting smaller and smaller. And so when we think about this concept of working with marketing and, and being in a campaign, and, and what I like to do is try to, you know, if I've got an account in the TAM or account that we're targeting, I like to touch it in a three-month campaign twice a year. So I like it three months on, three months off, three months on, three months off. In addition to that, it's good for the prospects in my mind because it gives some time for things to change in their world. Mm -hmm. And it's really great for our reps too because, like, the, you know, just the example I just gave you, it, it sort of combats that. In other words, they have like a really set of accounts that they're going to be focusing on. And once they're done with that in three months, I'm moving another set of accounts into their name. And so it just keeps new and fresh things in front of them. Now, what you were just asking about is the voice, you know, going to the customer. Um, that's actually not much different in what I described than what actually happens in, in the real world anyway. Why? Because sales is very um, transient in the sense of like, you know, people are moving up or moving out or whatever, right? Like all these types of things are constantly happening. There's all this disruption on sales for anyway. How many times do we rebalance account bases and all that stuff on a regular basis? Um, but it isn't to say that it has to be like that. And what I'm describing for a model either, if I'm moving accounts in for three months and out for three months, if I still have that same SDR in the team, I can give them all those same accounts again. Right. How right. is that any different than what we're already doing today? It's, it's very similar. Right. Um, okay. And then the only thing that happens is when we move it from an SDR to an AE, right? And and where I'm going with this is that, you know, even if you're assigning all these accounts in a TAM, but you're having an SDR, you know, to the AE, but you're having an SDR do all the prospecting, they're not used to hearing from the AE that owns it anyway. So it doesn't necessarily need to be pre-decided who's going to get it. Um, and you're going to end up probably, in my mind, very similar experience, no matter which model you choose from the customer perspective, meaning who are they hearing from and how often and how much is that changing? And I would also argue, while it may not be like customer centric on the surface, it's actually not as bad either because what ends up happening is if a prospector, I'll just call it a prospector, SDRE, it doesn't matter, builds a relationship with somebody who's just blocking them and they don't know how to go around that relationship. <laughs> like uh, Sometimes it's actually worse to have that, right? From You're right. Perspective. Sometimes it makes a big, just have a different voice, a different person to reach out. Yeah, when they go dark on you, you just, Pull the manager in, pull another rep in, have them do some outreach. And it's crazy how that, that a different face or voice can change that. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I think it's I do think it's actually a lot healthier for everybody, you know, customers and and prospectors and just really your bottom line as a business. And 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 that's where we talk about sales capacity, right? Like 
if I've got an account that's prematurely or like like what I'm trying to say here is like uh, the the prospector has a bad feeling about the account or, or an inaccurate one, and they just won't ever call that account again. You give that to somebody net new, and they look at it and see a whole new opportunity than the person before them. They go after it, it, and all of a sudden, mm -hmm. next thing you know, we've got this deal in the pipeline. So to shaking up the bag, you know, as a leader with your accounts and having that built in programmatically through a tool like what uh, Open Market offers is clearly a way to open up capacity, create efficiency, and take advantage of, you know, social selling opportunities and such uh, type of scenarios that we talked about with that earlier story. But what you talk about as well is the many to many, and if I'm understanding this correctly, you know, it's a paradigm shift, so forgive me if I need to keep up. Uh, but the AESDR pod, so are you break? Are you breaking that up then? In, in that, or this was no one SDR to two AES or that sort of alignment. I yes. So I've run the pods, and I think that feels like when you listen to a lot of people, it makes a lot of sense. And I think on the yeah, surface, I mean, there's some does, synergies so there. There's teaming, and you think partnership, and you know, AES uh, taking SDRs under their wing, and you know that by being part of the career pathing and so forth. So I, I've seen the AE pod when they, when you have good synergy be advantageous for sure. So when it works well, it works amazing. Right. But also yeah. it, it, yeah. It, it, it creates challenges as a leader. So let me try to dive into some of that. Um, and, and by pods, what we're talking about here is like a one SDR to one AE and they're okay. like in their pod or maybe a one to two or one to three ratio. Right. But what we're really saying here, the ratios aren't necessarily as mattering as much, but what, what we're really talking about is, um, you know, the fact that um, they're, they're, they're assigned to each other. Um, and well, oftentimes what you hear is like, oh, well, it's a great way to train SDRs. You know, the AEs are going to train them up. And what you really end up with is like everybody trained in very different ways. <laughs> um, that's the first thing. Second thing is like I've, I've watched it create a lot of issues around like the SDRs work for the AEs. And if I'm being honest, it's a lot more of like a cultural issue, but it yeah, surfaces yeah. a lot. Your SDR is not your secretary for those that are listening. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah, right, yeah. right. And, mm -hmm. and you know, and, and like sometimes, you know, it's good when they're learning a bunch of stuff, but it's not when it's like uh, they're not really learning and they are acting more as a secretary than, than, than something else here. So and then as a manager, right, or a leader of the team, you know, let's say I've got, you know, 10 of these pods, one or two of them is working amazing. And then I've got probably, you know, five under the hood that are doing okay. And like just three that are absolutely on just a dumpster fire that I'm trying right, to figure right. out how to manage. They and, hate and, each other. Literally. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And he's not showing I, up for sinks and SDR is not working the accounts in spite of them. It's this whole host yep. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've all experienced it, right? Mm. So it's just like it's and and then when you're in that model, it's like you start to realize like all the challenges. But the bigger thing is just the the mobility of of the reps. So interesting, yeah. Like if I've got a rep like an SDR who's absolutely crushing it and ready for a promotion, look as a sales leader, you're telling me I got to turn off my number one engine and go rebuild that thing. Like it's not super exciting to do it. Mm. You should because it's the right thing to do. Don't get me wrong, and I would every time, right. but not everybody would. Um, if if I'm being honest, right? And I think that it's a very challenging thing for a leader to do. Um, and it just, if you don't have that bench, if you don't have that up and coming player that can, you know, fold into that and take over that, those accounts and so forth. Yeah. That's, uh, and, and the personalities and relationships, right. Well, that's, that's like a whole other layer part. that you, mm -hmm. that you put in there. So, so like, let's just say that they were gelling really well and the personalities were good and everything was working. 
and you think you can just plug in anybody else next but the reality is is like if it's a different person and, and you lose that that momentum right. it, you can't really bring that back I want Tom you know, back yeah <laughs> super hard yeah it, it's really hard to manage that so so that's why I do like going to the pool model which is this many to many thing right and that's what that means is that we've got many SDRs to many es it's it's very stable um you know and you don't have to like really worry about a lot of those dynamic relationships um and it's just a lot better right from a mm. from a sales capacity standpoint making sure that like we don't have one sdr who's not prospecting for an ee because they just don't get along <laughs> like, and then you start changing the comp plan You're like well half of it has to come from one ee and the other one has to come from their you know account base and you have to prospect for both of them and it's like you start finding yourself doing all these crazy like well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, we mentioned load balancing earlier and the distribution or the equal distribution of outcomes, meetings, new opportunities. And I think it's common. I see it regularly as you go from company to company where out of a pool of maybe 10 AEs, two or three are getting the vast majority of the meetings. And that's for a variety of reasons, you know, People are new, people aren't getting along. There's all these things that go. So that load balancing and the distribution becomes very hard sometimes. And a lot of different things impact that. We've talked about some of them already, but that's a real problem that a lot of revenue teams are facing is that on the macro, the SDR team might be hitting the plan and contributing to the pipeline generation. But when you break it out and you know feather it out into the account executives, half of them are drowning still uh, if you you know obviously they should be self-sourcing and all that we can debate that separately but in <laughs> terms of their the expectation of sdr contribution right a lot of that's shifted towards a small number of aes and this model that you're suggesting that creates that increased capacity and optionality helps address that in, in inherently uh to to the model but one question, I know you got this asked of you recently, and I for we, we wouldn't have a complete episode if we didn't answer this piece. And you mentioned compensation just a moment ago. So how do we measure, manage quality and quantity then? If we move to this model and we have this going on, it sounds like there might be, you know, some challenges there. And I think one of your solutions, just to kind of set it up, are is the um the, the dollar system that you have in your platform. Yeah. Well, that's actually where open market does come into all of this, right? Um, which is to say all of the things you talked about before, you can absolutely ex execute and do. And and that's like actually the preferred model I've been in. But the really kind of like the only good distribution model in that is like a round robin. And you can wait the round robin and you can do all these extra things to try to like make sure that the round robin is like more balanced. But one other thing I want to call out is like we talk about uh, equability of distribution. And I think the biggest um, mistake that people make in all that is treating and assuming that every opportunity is the same quality, like that that the opportunities are equal. And so what we do is we say, you know, call them widgets. It's like you get 10 widgets, you get 10 widgets, you get 10 widgets, but it's not true, right? And so reps know this too. And when you're doing a round robin distribution model, it gets really hard to balance the thing you're talking about, which is quantity versus quality. Right. And, and, and also like, let's be honest that like SDRs and AEs are motivated in very different ways. Their role in the pipeline generation is very different, right? Like um, SDRs are trying to create quantity uh, and we get excited about that until we learn, you know, that there's so much quantity coming in that it's like not really the right fit or something. And then we right. start it's creating backfiring. It's creating distractions yeah. because it's not qualified or whatever. I mean, in, in some cases, I mean, there are SDRs and SDR teams are doing a phenomenal job at that. So we don't want to, brought a paint a broad brushstroke here but yes that 
can have an opposite effect of what you might hope is happening from from that. So let's talk about how we try to adjust for that. And I think a lot of sales leaders can relate to this and probably reps too. Like we've all felt this happening. We, we always start off with like getting meetings, then we got to figure out how to get better meetings. Mm. And the way that we start to try to turn some dials, we've only really got a few knobs here, like comp plans, rules of engagement, right? Qualification criteria, all these things. And um, what, what I find is that when we're looking at quantity, we're talking about the number of meetings that are set. And on any sales floor, I always have like a leader doing, you know, if their quota is 10, they're pumping out 20. They're really good at setting meetings, but they're not doing a lot of qualification. And it's kind of like a gamble whether or not that lead's going to be any good. And every AE knows this, right? So we all know who that person is. And as a sales leader, I know who that person is too, because I'm looking at how many meetings are set in the chart and I'm looking at the bar, you know, the, the, the graph going down and I'm looking at the bottom. And here at the bottom, I got somebody, you know, same quota 10 might be set in six a month. Um, but the difference between those two, when you flip these charts and we look at quality, right, then we start thinking about, well, did they convert into deals? Did they move into stage two of the pipeline? And oftentimes the person that's setting six has a way higher conversion ratio. And what happens next is we start comping SDRs partly on whether or not the deal closed. And right. I have such an yep. issue with that yep. because there's no more like clear demarcation line between SDRs and AEs. And I think that you're compensating SDRs on something that they really don't have control over. Could they maybe influence it with a better quality meeting? I agree. I, I don't disagree with that. Um, but I think but at even the end those of the better day, quality meeting, you know, it, the, the quality of the salesperson is still a sub subjective. Hundred percent, right? And so, how do you, how does an SDR feel about that? Now, typically, SDR deals, you know, these aren't like closing in two weeks. It, so, so an SDR's compensation now might be dragged out for nine months, right? Or because a we're waiting of for it. the deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a portion of it, we're waiting for the deal to close, and it's like that just doesn't feel like the thing that I I want to compensate yeah, it's not, the SDR. It's not a behavior driver, in which the comp plan is supposed to do, because there's no behavior that you can do to control that necessarily in some cases. Yeah. And in the complaint, it's like really complaint just an operating manual for a sales rep, right? Or whoever is going to come in and try to execute against it. The only thing I'm trying to figure out is how I'm getting paid and I'll do all the things I have to do underneath it to make that happen. So, so when you think about the two bookends I just gave you, we've got quantity being measured by a number of units, quality being measured by how many of those units convert. Well, if I really, you know, um, neither one of those are actually a good metric in my mind for compensating the SDR. And what I mean by that is this, I think that a good metric would be measuring the value that the SDR is creating for the AE team. Well, the only lead score that actually matters uh, in an organization is one that we don't measure, which is the one that the rep gives it as soon as they see that lead. Now, mm -hmm. if a rep says, hey, this, this lead is a 10 to me, I don't know why, it's a car parts company in the middle of the country, but you're in love with it. Like that's a 10, you're gonna work it like a 10. It could be it could be a, a good lead uh, going to a rep with a full pipeline, and it's a good lead. So like they just don't have the time to work it, and it's just not going to get the work that it deserves. Um, but when a rep looks at a lead, depending on how excited they are about working it, is like kind of the effort that goes into it, um, is That's what huge. I've just sort of experienced. Hmm. So when you think back to what a dollar is in the economy and what it means, it's just transferring value. It's it's a mechanism to transfer value. And so I thought, how do we bake that into this process, right? If I'm going to give AEs the ability to to go in and pick their leads as a way to sort of balance quantity and quality. What open market does is we, we give them a balance, uh, a budget, and we call it market dollars, you call it points. I've heard this being kind of like a fantasy football draft for leads. Like it's this concept, right? You've got so many points, but you only have so much resources that you can work with, but you get to choose where they go. And the leads can actually be at different price points. 
And this is what all of a sudden creates a natural check and balance between the two teams without me having to be involved. I pay you X number of my market dollars for that lead. And I'm going to pay you more if it's worth more to me because I'm the one who just scored it. I'm going to pay you less if it's not. And so, so my now, pipeline's not full, like that scenario you gave earlier from one week to the next, one week the, the funnel was full. So I'm, I, this isn't worth it. I'm not going to bid on it. I'm not going to, you know, raise my hand for the auction. Right. But next week, my funnel is depleting because I lost a bunch of big deals uh, out of nowhere. Now I'm bidding on everything that I can get my hands on. Yeah. Cause you got to get busy again. Yeah. And there's an optimal okay. amount of busyness. So like you can't be too busy because you're dropping stuff. You can't be not busy enough because you're just sitting around sales capacity. You know, it's not good for that rep. Yeah. Right. So, so giving them the ability to hit the gas or pump the brakes, fill in their pipeline with the stuff that they're most interested in working on uh, is really powerful. Right. And um, what that means is that actually not everybody's going to get the same amount of leads. And I'm okay with that because yeah, yeah. they're going to get the leads that they value more, right? And they may spend more resources. If I'm spending double the amount on leads, but I'm getting half of them, but but those are leads that I, you know, I care about and I value more, that's okay. We've got lower quality leads. And let's be honest, we do. Like there's leads in the system that aren't that great or they're not that qualified. Right, right, but if right. somebody worked them really hard, we might turn them into a deal. Well, um, you know, I, that, that, yeah. it sparks a thought of there's that one-on-one -on -one you're having with your AE and they have a full funnel or, you know, whatever the situation is at hand, but they need to focus on closing. They need to think it'll focus on uh, opportunity progression, but yet there's this tension because there's an expectation in business that they partner with their SDR and receive those leads and, and work them. But between me and you, I'm your manager, you're the rep. I know like right now you just need to focus in on those 25 ops in your funnel and we'll be good. So yeah. You, to, to create the option of saying, hey, no, you don't, then you don't have to tap into the SDR resource. You can keep your market dollars, focus on your 25. And the ones that are coming in now can be bid on or routed to those that need them, want them, and will apply the right number, uh, right level of focus that you were talking about. 100%. And, and, and I can't, that was like perfectly put, right? Um, and it's really just a matter of like balancing, load, load balancing your capacity. Exactly. Um, and I think one of the mistakes a lot of leaders make is that, you know, we see a lead come in that's like pretty good. We want to like always hand it off to the best rep because we're under so much pressure to make sure every deal gets handled the right way and closed. And if there's an opportunity to sort of put it into a certain person's hands, you know, they'll, they'll make that happen. But you have to understand that a rep that you overload like that, that becomes so busy is exactly what you just described, where they, they, you give them another one that's like, okay, but they've already got a plate full of too much. Like right. that and, okay and that's going to affect gets... those 25 and those other deals that could close. Yep. Sorry. And everybody else is kind of starving. Right. right and right, it's right, like, right. we've got somebody that honestly just could work it harder. Right. And because like this lead that might not be as good. It, what does that mean? It means it might need 20 calls instead of 10. I don't know. Right. But if a rep that's got a full plate can't make 20 calls, they're probably not even going to make the 10. That lead's not getting worked. And a good lead that could have been sold with a good amount of effort isn't getting the effort that it deserves. And that's where you start losing sales capacity, right? Meaning that like, I actually that's had the, the team that could have done it, but in your bucket, it, it didn't get there. Yeah. You're bleeding. That's where you're bleeding at right there. And it's, it's, it's internal bleeding. You don't even realize it really. It's not, uh, you know, it's not squirting in your face. It's, but it's bleeding slowly. And you wonder why, you know, folks are dying on the table. Um, this is a, a paradigm shift for, for a lot of, and when I think about the load, load balancing, I don't know, this is just coming from virtual uh, virtual server background as well. That's where I, I, I borrow the load balancing from. You were at Citrix, you get it, like, yep. you know, the whole balancing of data and everything else. It's the same thing we need to do with our opportunities, our leads, and make sure that the right capacity is managed so that we can have an effective 
you know engine if you will um so that's the uh that's so anything else that you'd leave folks with about open market i think we we I, we connected the dots really well i feel like and we wanted to uh, unfold this conversation in a certain way for our audience because it is a different way and there's it's such a latent issue that it's we just we do it everywhere we go from one company to the next it's the same thing just send all the accounts to the aes and then they own it and they control and make the decisions and then inherently from that from biting that apple all kinds of downstream issues and loss of capacity is, is what takes place so shifting a, sim, a simple shift in ownership with a you know, with a native tool that will fit right into your salesforce instance market uh, open market you have a solution that can do all the things that we talked about here today yeah i i think it's 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 actually a lot less about open market for me and a lot more about mm -hmm. just just trying to you know um just just share like the experiences i've had in the rest of the market and just there's such a better way to run all of this and you know meaning you know to, to try to like capture that sales capacity so whether you use open market or not like that's fine mm -hmm. i think that um even if you got this whole thing set up where, you know, you're just, you're involving marketing, they're picking the TAM, SDRs are the ones driving it, and and you've got optionality for AEs to be, you know, authoritative figures, social selling, and we're rewarding everybody all the right ways. And we're getting, you know, the accounts to people that have the capacity to work them and, and the excitement to work them, right? I mean, you could do 90% of this all the way through and still have a round robin. And that's what I used to do. And when I ran into the problems with the quantity versus quality in the round robin, and watching all these conversations happen, that's where like the concept of like, wow, we have to fix this quantity versus quality issue. And that's that's where open market comes in. But the reality, 90% is you can do without open market. And I would really hope to see the world moving towards that because there's just such a better way to run these types of teams. Um, and when you get into the quantity versus quality issue and you're that far along, feel free to give me a call. There you go. <laughs> well, where can people find you, you then yeah. on that? That's a good segue. Where do you want to point people uh, to, to connect with you, learn more about open market, what have you? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm on LinkedIn. It's just search it up under Tom Melbourne, um, you know, or even just the website. Check it out. It's it's, it's spelled kind of funky. It's opnmkt.io. Uh, and there's some cool videos on there. You can see it. It's a pretty interesting concept. Um, but feel free to reach out to me. And and even just somebody wants to have a conversation about, you know, how to transfer into this type of a model. Um, happy to always chat, right? Just Just high level about all this stuff. So, yeah. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.